Cool. So this morning I'm talking about life verses. What is a life verse? Have you guys heard that term? Okay, show of hands. Who's heard of life verses? Very cool. Wow, you guys are super awesome. I, every time I thought about life verses was like, oh man, that's probably for somebody who knows more of the Bible than me. I don't know enough of the Bible to ever pick a life verse. I don't think I, I'm good enough as a Christian to pick a life verse. You know how that goes, right? I have a show, okay, show of hands, who has a life verse? Awesome. Okay, so we're doing pretty good. It's not a horrible ratio there. Um, listen, I just want to encourage you, whether or not you know Jesus or not, this morning can change everything for you. A life verse does not have to come from an overwhelming knowledge of the Bible. You don't have to be able to flip through and be like, well, listen, the context of this is that the Israelites were here doing this, that, and the other thing, and you don't even realize that a hundred years later they were going to be doing this, that, and the other thing. You don't have to know this. You don't have to know volumes of history and have memorized a ton of scriptures to pick a life verse. I like to think that I picked my life verse at like the age of eight only because I heard it and it stuck in my mind forever and I could never get rid of it. And I didn't even know until I was, what, honey? When was, what, that two years ago? So how old was I, 22? I didn't know until I was 22 what my life verse was. Now, mind you, I had been a pastor for a little while already. So not doing great on that, I think. You know what I mean? Like, I probably should have picked one before then. But it was a really weird thing. So I just want to tell you that a life verse can give meaning, purpose, and direction to your life. Um, One thing that we forget all the time, even though we know our God is alive, you know, he's crucified, raised on the third day, he's here, he's risen, his Holy Spirit is here, he's coming back. Even though our God is alive, we sometimes forget that our Bibles are the living word of God. And I promise you, no matter where you're at in your journey, whether you've been following Jesus forever or whether you're just beginning to gain an understanding of who he is, whether or not you think you know enough scripture to even pick a life verse, I want to share my story with you and hopefully encourage you. Because a life first can be a lens of truth with which you can perceive all of creation. It can give you purpose, peace, perseverance. It can change your life based on the name of it alone. So, for anybody who wants to know Jesus, probably one of the best things to do is is read his book. But um, even if you haven't, this morning can can really, really be an awesome thing in picking a life first. Um, Whether you realize it or not, you actually have memorized hundreds of life verses. This is not a joke. Life verses exist in the real world too. We like to think that the spiritual and the secular are so far divided. And we like to kind of compartmentalize our lives, right? We do this. Well, one thing that's very obvious to me about the real, the real world, the secular world, is that they have life verses as well. Can I just throw a few at you and you can maybe laugh if you recognize it? Okay. Eat fresh. Little chain called Subway. You probably haven't heard of it. I'm loving it. Right? Just do it. Nike, the happiest place on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's the strongest amen I've gotten all morning. Yeah. Yeah, Disneyland. God's cool too, but man, Disneyland. Okay, so, so here's the thing though. These aren't scripture, are they? They're advertising slogans. But they are words that contain power and information. Something as simple as eat fresh tells you hundreds of things. One, it's a food chain. Two, they prize the freshness and quality of their ingredients. It's a short slogan, so they probably like to serve food quickly. It's probably not a sit-down restaurant. It's fast food. You get what I'm saying? There's a mission statement in that. Not only does it say, hey, we feed people and we want it to be good. It's it's almost kind of a a way of life that their brand has. Um, 
A slogan essentially communicates the core essence of the brand, especially something like the happiest place on earth. I mean, that's very obvious, you know, what they want you to believe. Um, when I was a kid, I, I was surrounded by biblical truths, whether I kind of liked it or not. My mom had this rule that uh, we had to study the Bible for 20 minutes before we could play video games. And I loved it. Just kidding, I hated it. It was awful. But one of the things that did is whether I realized it or not, it deposited scripture into my life in a way that like was so unusual. It was like, you know, someone would talk about something and I'd be like, yeah, I know that verse, it goes this way. Or yeah, this story is about blah, blah. Or I would come across instances in my life and then I'd be like, oh, you know, it's a lot like this story in the Bible. And it was like weird. It was really, really weird, but awesome because parents never discount, don't force your kids to read the Bible, but never discount that the truth that you instill in your kids' lives it can last quite a long time. And in my case, with my life verse, I knew it far before I knew that I knew it because it stuck with me. Um, I discovered my life first at this really, really cool period in time. Um, my wife and I, as, as we were preparing to leave, uh, well, it was a little bit before we found out we were coming here. Oh, it was a lot before, actually. How, when was it? I know I keep referring to you for dates. It's like we're at home right now. Um, <sighs> I discovered my life first because a very, very awesome worship leader who brought me up and kind of taught me and trained me was writing for an album he was about to record uh, for Lifeway Worship. And he called together a bunch of people who he trusted, and he, he played us like 20 or 22 songs. And he just had us write down on the piece of paper, can you worship to this? You know, what, what were your thoughts? Is it too fast? Is it too slow? Anything from mechanical aspects of the song to spiritual aspects of the song. And about halfway through, we got to this song called The Fear of the Lord. And he started off the song, and he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And boom, like a blast from the past, I was arrested with this sense of, oh my gosh. And I immediately, on the paper, I wrote down, this is my life verse. I love this. And every note and every syllable of the song continued to get deeper and stronger and and, and anthemic in my heart. All of a sudden, I realized that I had so much of me tied to this idea of the fear of the Lord. It's a difficult one. I'm going to be honest with you. I was really nervous. PT was like, yeah, we're going to talk life verses. What's your life verse? And I was like, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I was thinking about it, and I was like, I'm going to bring that word this morning. Hey, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Oh, bless me some more, pastor. That's good. Ah, comfort. I just feel great. No, I mean, truth is, it's not an easy subject to discuss. And honestly, it's kind of misunderstood. Um... Let's look at, first of all, the book it comes from, Proverbs. So this is Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Who knows who wrote Proverbs? Anyone? Solomon, right. So Solomon was this unusually wise dude. As a matter of fact, he asked God for wisdom. God gave him this huge portion of wisdom. And what did he do with it? Like many of our modern-day heroes, he wrote a book. And uh, he probably gave out signed copies. No, I'm kidding. He didn't. But... He was the wisest. This guy was the Dave Ramsey of finances. He was probably like the Al Gore of global warming, uh, the Tom Cruise of Top Gun. Or in the case of my family, he was Kurt Russell, our personal hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Or Bill Murray, the tippity top. Either way, he's a great guy. So he puts all his wisdom into this book. Uh, and although he wasn't the only writer, a few other people chipped in. It's, it's widely understood that the concept and all of the Proverbs came from wisdom that Solomon gave to the, his people at the time when he was king. And the crux of the entire book, this continually restated fact, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He opens up the book, and it's like six verses, and he says, this book is to instruct you, to give you understanding, that you can decipher riddles and parables and all of this stuff. It's going to give you a vision and an understanding of life, and it'll help lead you. It's for wise men and old men and young men and families. He just tells you that this book should just totally, totally change your life. And then he ends right at verse 7, chapter 1, verse 7, and he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then he says it again later on in the chapter, and then again in the next chapter, and in the next chapter after that. And by the time he gets to 1533, he's already said it quite a few times, but he tacks on that humility comes before honor. So um, why is it, you guys, do you think that the fear of the Lord is an uncomfortable subject? Probably because fear is uncomfortable, right? I mean, we're really comfortable understanding fear from a purely logical thing, idea, and place. But when it comes to a relationship, and we're talking about a relationship this morning, when fear enters the realm, especially with God, we just don't like that. Well, let's talk about types of fear. The first is the fear of repercussions. Um, And you guys know what this is like. This is like, oh my gosh. Did I lock the door? <laughs> if I didn't, what will happen? This is like, huh, I'm standing behind a horse. I might get kicked. You know what I'm saying? These fears are, are they're, they're realistic, okay? And they're oftentimes really intense. Um, you know, this is sort of how you would feel if you were in front of a judge and he was like, oh, guilty. If, if, if your life or something important to you hung in the balance, this is oftenly associated with the fear of I did something bad. And this is something all of us are familiar with, right? I think we've all felt this at one point or another. Here's the thing about this fear. If you're living your relationship with Christ and it is totally and completely absorbed by this fear, the fear of repercussions, you will not last in your faith. You cannot sustain a long-term relationship with God or anyone else on the face of this green earth If everything you do is based on the fear that something is going to happen and that they're going to punish me. I'm friends with our pastors here, right, Christopher? And if I, and everything I do, I bring Christopher coffee in the morning because I'm afraid Christopher's going to slap me if Pastor Terry leaves. You know what I mean? Like, that's an unhealthy way of looking at anything. My wife, I love her. Am I naturally afraid of letting her down? Yes. Yes, because I love her. Fear is intimately linked to all of these other emotions. And even though we don't like talking about it and it's really hard to understand and it's kind of this flighty thing within us, we have to understand that it cannot be absent from our relationship with God. We cannot credit human relationships with this understanding of fear and not think that the God of the universe who is all-powerful and deserving of our reverence is not worthy of the fear of the Lord. But when we talk about it, it makes us want to cancel our subscription to Christianity. It makes us want to turn off Caleb. We're like, well, I don't want that. I don't know. That, that's my response. Maybe it's not your response. But in my life, I have suffered at the hands of unhealthy fear. It's a natural fear, but it is unhealthy long term. And 
it can really consume you. It can remove all of your assurance, your confidence. And I will say this. I will say that this verse has sometimes provoked unhealthy fear in me. But the verse in and of itself is true. It is my perspective of the verse that has had to change. You see, this is my life verse, not because I love it so much and it makes me feel so good, but because it's partly how I see the world. I was growing up with this horribly unhealthy sense of fear as a kid. I'm going to tell you a story, and it's weird. As a little boy, I told you I was surrounded by biblical truths, so of course, I misunderstood certain concepts. As a little boy, I would go into my bathtub, and I would turn the water as hot as it could go. And then I would get in because I was so drenched in the fear of hell that I thought if I could only numb myself to the experience, then when I go there, it won't be so bad. I know some of you laugh and others gasp. It was awful. I mean, it's like, how, how, how could you, how could we live that way? None of us wants to, right? The second type of fear is the fear of rightly seeing, okay? This type of fear is, is really interesting, you see, we can all understand that the Grand Canyon is, is this amazing thing, right? We can all understand that this wonder of nature exists. But it's not until we are face-to-face with the Grand Canyon and we're standing at the edge that we realize that this massive, beautiful work of creation could kill us if we take a step forward. That's the fear of rightly seeing. It's wisdom. It's saying, wow, I could die right now. If I really wanted to, I would walk off the face of this earth quite literally. I mean, I'd land somewhere down there, but it would not be good. Why is the notion of a God who not only loves us, but passionately will stop at nothing to lead us into his kingdom scary? Why is it that an all-powerful being isn't always worthy of fear in our hearts? We don't like that. Why is that? Why do we say no to fearing God? Why do I? Why have I said no to fearing God? Well, one, it's, it's because I misunderstood. It's because I had this unhealthy fear of God. Don't get me wrong. The fear of repercussions is great. It motivates you out of complete apathy towards sin and self. When you're in the middle of doing something completely foolish and suddenly reality slaps you and you wake up and you go, wow, this is not fun anymore. Then yes, the fear of repercussions is a healthy motivator. But if I live my entire life afraid of what God is going to do to me, and believe me, I have in many ways done that, I would not sustain. There was a time in my life where I experienced such a tragedy that I nearly left ministry. Worse than my father's suicide, worse than almost anything, worse actually than anything I'd ever been through. And because of my ultimately unhealthy understanding of the fear of God, part of me believed that God must have done this to me. And I nearly called it quits. That is not something I want for your life. I know some of us are carrying tragedy on our shoulders this morning. And I want to free you from the unhealthy idea that somehow God has orchestrated it to teach you something. That's almost pagan, that idea. That we can manipulate God with our behavior, and if we're good, he's good to us. That's not entirely true, now is it? If that were true, then God could be manipulated. He wouldn't be God anymore. We have to be careful. Fear of repercussions is fine, but it's the fear of rightly seeing something that that bears us into long-term relationship. 
In America, we have this understanding of fear that's completely different. You see, all of our fears are muted. If I break my leg right now, Michelle or, or Adam or whoever, uh, some other emergency medical responder who has lots of training would come, splint it, it'd take me to the hospital, I'd be totally fine. But back in the day, of course, scripture, if I cut my finger and I get a bad infection, I could be dead in days. This understanding of the, the temporariness of life that they have is totally different. I mean, they could walk on the road between, let's say we're in olden times, Martinez crossing to Benicia or going to Concord. You could get mauled by a lion or a bear. And it'd be like, well, where's Kyle? Well, he got eaten by a lion. And he's not here anymore. And it's a big bummer. And everyone's really sad, I hope. And, uh, <laughs> but do you understand that our margin for things that we're afraid of is very small? In, in our culture, I mean, we can comfort ourselves in a second. I do this sometimes. If I'm uncomfortable, I will whip out my cell phone, look at Instagram, go to Facebook, do this, do that, do the other thing. When the last thing I need in the world is another screen in front of me and I should be turning to Jesus, I have been taught to make my fear placid and dismissed by distracting myself. I have traded truth for comfort. Don't put it up yet. I'm going to get to that later. It'll, it'll be cool. Okay. So I don't know about you, but honestly, church, I don't want a God who is fickle. I don't want a God who's like just totally a rotary club figure. I don't want Jesus slightly levitating and always Anglo and et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I really don't. I, would, I don't want Jesus driving a Volkswagen Cabrio, drinking a latte going, just get in. It's good. It's good, man. Just climb on in. It's good. I don't want that. I want a God who provokes change in my life. Not because I'm terrified of him, but because I can understand that even though he is loving, he is more powerful than me. I do not want a God who is equivalent or less than I am. Right? Okay. Yes. I love clapping. That's good. Good. You know who had a really healthy understanding of this and who was a Christian? C.S. Lewis. I don't know. Do you guys love him? Okay. I love C.S. Lewis. He had such a great understanding of this. I want to read you something from his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Some of you may be familiar. This is a, is a direct quote from the book. There's two characters, Lucy, a little girl, and Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver. They're, they're you know, these beavers, and, you know, it's a fantasy story, everyone, so calm down. Um, and Lucy is talking to Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver because she's going to meet Aslan, the lion. And if you know anything about Aslan and C.S. Lewis's books, he is this uh, Jesus figure. And he even dies in the book and resurrects to make things right in this world, to end the eternal winter that they're all under. It's amazing how scriptural C.S. Lewis was in his stories. So let me read this to you. Lucy says, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan. There's another daughter here. I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. I mean, imagine a child, obviously, right? That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, says Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, Mr. Beaver said. Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? 
Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I prefer a God who's not a toothless lion, impressive to sinners, but tame to the saved. I prefer a God who's like a raging storm, filling me with fear born of reverence and understanding that he is greater than I. But what's beyond that fear? I mean, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, yes. But that's it. And from wisdom and understanding of who God is is born of love, joy, all of these other aspects of relationship that suddenly we can tap into because we are aware that God is all-powerful. Now, he's worthy of praise and adoration. On Sunday, we can't get it backwards. We can't be like singing from this place of, oh, God's not all-powerful, but I like him anyway. It doesn't really work that way. For us to really sing in reverence and praise God, We have to understand that he is all-powerful. It's so interesting how that works. But in reality, it's pivotal in our relationship with him. Otherwise, it'd be an incomplete relationship. Let me give you an example. I fear the idea of ever hurting my wife. Because I love her so much, I am motivated by that love to avoid the pain of hurting her. I'm literally afraid of that. Because that love is intimately linked with other emotions. I I fear for the safety of those I love. Don't you? Yeah. But we don't question the validity of that relationship, even though it contains fear. Fear is a natural thing, right? We have it so that we can survive. Fight or flight responses come from fear. They're born of all of this. They are intimate and necessary and required, not only for survival, but for relationship. If my relationship of God, with God is devoid of fear, then I have traded truth for comfort. Go ahead, put it up. Ugh, love that line. Don't trade truth for comfort in your relationship with God. Don't trade the God of the universe who's worth serving for a lowercase God who is so weak they can't compel you to change. Ask me why. why? Ask me why. Because if God only had the ability to punish us, he wouldn't be God. Think of every tyrant you've ever seen on the face of the earth. If they possess only the ability to ruin your life, they're not worthy of fear. They're worthy of rebellion. But God, in the Psalms we see, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Why would I fear someone who is unjust and evil, if God only existed to condemn me, then he would not be God. But because he holds both truth, justice, and love, and power, and might, he is worthy of our fear because his forgiveness is just. Once in my life I said these words, if I can live up to them, I will be proud. I made this statement and it was a scary one as it came out of my life. I said, as, as of my mouth, I said, if I get to the gate and God condemns me, I'll say amen. That was a scary statement to make. I hope and I pray that I live up to that statement. Because that statement is born of the understanding that if he did that, it would be because he is just and I simply have to ascribe to a sense of justice that is higher than I am. Scary. This is my life first for a lot of reasons. Because I grew up with such an unhealthy sense of fear, 
I was unnaturally attracted to a scripture that described a type of fear that somehow was good for you. There are areas of your life that will pull you towards parts of the Bible, truths within us that resonate. The scripture says that God's written his laws on our hearts. And so we actually have an understanding within our physical bodies, within your experience that relates to scripture. Not all truth exists outside of us. God has deposited the truth of who he is in us that we could find it within scripture and understand it to a deeper degree. Yes, it is a mystery. Yes, it is a chase. But we are not without a map. We are not without an understanding of God that has been deposited by him. I was riddled with unhealthy fears as a kid. And even sometimes in my adult life, these recur. But when I understood, whoa, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, I, I could see what was meant. And I could say to myself, yeah, God is worthy of fear because he's good and he's just. But my love for him is equivalent to the reverence I have in my heart. I just want to encourage you this morning, if you are in a relationship with a lowercase g, a false God who manipulates and, 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 and chases your life with pain, if he's teaching you lessons and crushing your hope, that's not the God that scripture talks about. I won't deny that God allows us to go through trials. His desire, of course, being that things work out for the better. But God causes rain to fall all over the earth on the just and unjust. And he calls you to the truth of who you are in that situation. He didn't put you there to hurt you. Like I said, it's not an easy subject to discuss. It's uncomfortable. And thank goodness I have time to do it in. I feel like I just went through this whole thing really quick. <laughs> I just want to encourage you this morning that, like I said, this, the Bibles that we have, they're, 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 they're living. They are the living word of God. And if you want to discover the truth, his universal truths, these pre-existing truths before we came to earth, before any of this other stuff happened, this truth existed. If you want to discover that, I suggest you rifle through it and find the verse that can give your life purpose, direction, and perspective. I want to offer you a little more reassurance before I close today. I want to say this. It is a humbling and encouraging thing when I remember that the same God that I revere and fear he died for sins I haven't even committed yet. And his love is extending from the beginning of time to the end. And the wisdom that I have in reverence of him leads me into a loving response of worship. So that's the adventure I want to encourage you on. Discover your life first. Find the truth. Find the arrow that you can shoot through the clouds, that, 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 that truth that can lead you, that perspective that can guide you. It's an adventure. It is a total adventure. And like I said, I didn't even know this was my life first until my soul responded to it. The, the word that God had written in my heart resonated with hearing it. That's the adventure I encourage you on. As we look at these other life verses from our other pastors, you're going to notice that each one is intimately linked to their personality. 
You see, God's very creative, and he created all of his children differently, and we are all mirrors of aspects of our Savior. It's really cool. And my life verse is based a lot in my perspective on life. You'll see that each one of us shares that in a different way, and that, that each perspective is different. I think you're going to really enjoy this adventure. 